Welcome to Smart Branding, a podcast dedicated to branding, naming, and domain names. I'm Tatiana Bonneau, and with my guests, we try to help you create and grow strong, memorable, and meaningful brands online. I believe time is one of our most precious assets, and so I want to thank you in advance if you decide to spend the next 30 minutes with us. I promise to do my best to make those worth it. Let's go. So today my guest is Curtis Barr. He's the principal of Boss Bar PR, has represented brands like PayPal, Tetris, uh, and the Alien Hunters of the SETI Institute. He is a member of the Forbes Communication Council and has written for Adweek, Forbes, the Dallas Morning News, and PR Week. Um, thank you for joining us, Curtis. It's a pleasure having you with us. I am delighted you picked me. Let's see how I can dazzle <laughs> people or disappoint them. <laughs> yeah, let's see how that goes. <laughs> so let's start with a bit of a background. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how did you get into PR? Well, I was working in TV news. I actually got an Emmy. You could actually see it behind me right there. It's cool. real. This is an actual real Emmy. And uh, I was moving right along and I reached an inflection point where I had to decide should I leave San Francisco or should I leave news? And I gave it some deep thought and thought that I really love San Francisco. And then that led me to think, well, what could I do that would be useful? That took me to PR. Uh, unfortunately, most firms didn't think that a person who was at one of the largest TV stations in the country had any experience worthy of public relations. No, really? <laughs> I, it was incredible. I was talking to one person who was about a decade younger than me at a big major PR firm, and she sniffed, I just don't understand what your resume has for us. So, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So one woman took a chance on me, uh, Chris Balke. She hired me, and uh, we started to do really good things together. We worked with Tetris, for example, for their 25th anniversary. And we kept on getting bigger and bigger. And then uh, she got acquired by a huge international conglomerate. And we got to see what a big, huge international PR agency was like. And we wanted no part of it. I'm sure there are many <laughs> things about an international PR agency. But all I saw were a lot of people who were just really good at plotting and scheming and not really doing PR. And so uh, we decided to launch Bose Bar uh, 2015, and we decided to do it as a work from home agency. And there were many reasons why. We wanted to work with people around the country, regardless of the geography. We also thought that the huge expense, not only in San Francisco, but in other markets, just made no sense when people mm. just beginning to use technologies like zoom and we thought that by investing in people we would be better situated to really serve our clients now the thing is that when we started this in 2015 well before lockdowns and covid mm. people were all i don't understand how you could possibly do that without a water cooler and this kind of old-fashioned thinking was really pervasive and mm. so we started winning awards to demonstrate, no, you can be a great PR agency. You can get uh, the PR Week Awards or uh, be shortlisted at Con or anything like that and work from home. And that really solidified our reputation. And then COVID happened and uh, we were 
perfectly equipped to continue what we're doing. And that's been our, our trajectory. And I'm really proud of the work we've done. Mm, absolutely. That's, that sounds absolutely great. And I love that um, you, you had that with the news, then with the global PR agency, you have, I feel that a lot of people box themselves into, you know, that's what I am. That's what I'm going to do. And that's it. They don't, don't move from it. And, and it sounds like you, uh, like you don't have a problem committing to something, but then if you feel, you know, that's not what it was or not, or maybe like, I think that works both ways. Sometimes the, the project or the company changes, sometimes you, you change yourself, but you're okay with saying, okay, that's not anymore what I want to do. So I'm going to go and do something else. Yeah, I think there is a time where you have to decide uh, how to handle a fork in the road. And I was really grateful that I got to work in TV news as long as I did. I think that that experience has helped me really understand uh, the media process. And I think that it's also helped me become a very fast declarative writer. I think that a lot of people who have not had that experience in the newsroom where everyone's talking at you and yet you have to focus on the content you're creating really makes you good at handling several things at once under pressure. I think that when I talk to uh, younger people in the industry, I find that they have a harder time taking that level of mental focus and applying it to some of the content they're creating because they've just never been tested like that. Mm, absolutely. And I think what you just described as, you know, a lot of people like with all that noise around you, it's very much happening on any level, even if you are not in a room full of people, just the distractions are everywhere nowadays. Like absolutely. I think if you can't manage to uh, focus without, you know, falling into those, you, you just, uh, I, don't, I don't see how you can work in any area, actually, not just in PR. <laughs> it's, it's a challenge to do it, but I think that by being able to focus, you can really create quality content that very few people can replicate. Hmm. So tell me about Bospar. What was the, like, it's a curious name. What was the process of choosing that name? What's the story behind it? So my last name is Sparrow. Uh, my business partner's name is Balki, Chris Balki. And we took those two complicated German last names and made them into <laughs> a nice, short, tight URL. And, you know, this was Chris's genius where she thought that we needed to have something new that was unique to us. And we needed to have it mean something for us. And yet we also needed to have something that was easy to say, and that could have a life of its own, frankly. And mm -hmm. when it comes to branding, when it comes to marketing, that's really the real trick is to come up with something that is seemingly familiar, but yet unique. And that's why I've been really proud of Bospar and what we've been able to do. I think that has evolved to where we have created the politely pushy moniker where mm. it describes our work ethic and how we approach media relations and client relations. And I think that both of them are catchy and instructive in their own way. Mm, absolutely. I agree with you. And it's one of my favorite type of names. I have to say I, I work with in my line of work with premium domain names. 
Uh, some of the most valuable names are obviously the dictionary word, popular uh, words, uh, .com names, which, you know, it's a different story uh, in itself. But as for like brand names, uh, I think the made up words that still sound very well and that are easy to pronounce, easy to spell across languages. And they actually, like in your case, it really makes you feel like I'm, like I've read it and I'm like, I'm sure that means something in some language. It just looks like a word. It is uh, apparently uh, a couple of different airports that I frequently right. get dates for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it, it does have that. Um, but I think that uh, having something unique where it's not just one last name or the other, I mean, certainly there's like the Edelmans of the world and Finn partners, and I respect that too. But I think in a way, Ghost Bar is, you know, Chris and my child, for lack of a better word for it. And it has uh, the parentage of both of us right in the letters itself. Love it. That's wonderful. So tell me about what do you do at Ghost Bar? Well, I start off my day around 4.30, 4.45 a.m. because there's the East oh, Coast. There's also the fact <laughs> that I just wake up early. I wake up, start checking emails, go to the gym, and advise early morning situations that might arise. Uh, I will be probably the first person someone speaks to if they have a PR question and they're looking to bring in a PR agency. I am also the go-to person for clients who may have a crisis. And I'm also the go-to guy for uh, any big media placements that clients are looking to have. And so I'm proud of the ability that we have demonstrated to get our clients the sort of transformative coverage that has yielded sales, that has helped them with their exits, that has helped them uh, set themselves up for success when they go public. And so I believe PR can be transformational in that regard. I think that one of the things that surprises me is when people don't understand how PR works or what the news is like. And I blame that on the fact that I think a lot of people are, are getting their news disintermediated by other services like Twitter and stuff. Mm. They're not really seeing the full extent of a story and how it's crafted and how they could insert themselves into those narratives. And mm. so I think the big future that we are going to have to grapple with, not just as PR and branding experts, but as people who just want to know about the world is of course going to come from AI. And it's also going to come from the fact that the younger generation is consuming a lot more video than they are consuming written stories and the mm. TV producer and me loves that because I know how to make video work, but the informed citizen in me who realizes that sometimes video can't go into the depth that a written piece can is concerned about that. And I think mm. we have to grapple with all those challenges as communication professionals in the years to come, if not the days and weeks. Mm, absolutely. I love that you bring that up because I um, 
I have kids and I like seeing how they do things online and generally the interaction with brands. I, f- I feel it's very informative of where things are going, even if like statistics, statistically, I can't say there, you know, any representation, but it was like the other day, my son who is 14, um, I don't know what we were talking about, but I, I pulled out an article and I was like, look, you know, that we were arguing about something like we weren't of the, of the same opinion. And he just looked at it and he went, oh, that's too long to read. I'm like, you're spending hours, literally, like I have to watch his screen time. He's spending hours watching videos and you like just looked at it on a topic that we were discussing. So it's of interest already. And you're like, oh, that's too long. I can't read that. I'm like, what? (laughs) But that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And I, I think that we're going to have to think about how to engage people with different media habits and different ways of absorbing content and frankly, different attitudes about how much effort they should go into discovering something. And I don't think anyone has a quick, smart answer for what that will look like and how we can make that work best for other people. But I think that that is going to be the big Gordian knot that we try to untie in the next five to 10 years. Absolutely, mm. I'm curious to see how that will go. Tell me what what is politely pushy? What is that about? How does it apply to what you do? Well, I was inspired by that terminology when I was working on PayPal Galactic. And one of the things that PayPal and I had talked about was the idea of getting an astronaut to pay online in space. It would be the highest payment ever. And so I started reaching out to my network of astronauts who knows someone has a network. <laughs> there I was reaching out to other astronauts and their wives and their spouses. And while I was doing that, I realized that there was a tremendous amount of pressure for me to make this happen. And yet, my timeline was not the timeline of the astronauts or their wives. And so I realized that if I was going to be successful, I would have to be really persistent, really pushy, but I have to do it in a way that was charming, that was nice. And I had to do it in a way that didn't seem overtly forceful. And I came up with politely pushy as that sort of concept that was cute and a little playful on the nature of politeness and pushiness. And so that kind of antithetical mishmash there, if you will. And yet I also think that that's the sort of thing that you have to do with journalists because having been a journalist, I know that the typical journalist receives about 100 to 200 pitches each day. And if you're going to follow up or try to convince a journalist to cover you, you have to be polite and thoughtful, but you have to think of a new way to make yourself relevant. You can't just go with the same thing every time. And Mm. so there's that. And then also with clients, most of our clients say, you know what? I want you to lead us. And one client said, I like you, Curtis, because you lead me by the nose to what I need to do. And that's what I do. (laughs) And so, yeah, you know, you have to realize still that, these clients are paying you, you are in service to them. So if you're going to lead them, you have to do it in a polite way. You have to be persistent. 
And so that became my thought about our professional ethos, about being politely pushy. And we even trademarked the concept because sometimes I would talk about that in webinars like this and people say, oh, that's really good. I'm going to steal that. And <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Missy Elliott, one time rap, copy written, so don't copy me. And I thought, you know what, Missy, that's going to be me too. And so... <laughs> We, we took a page from our own playbook about intellectual property and did copyright it and trademarked uh, Bospar as well. And I think that's something that all communication professionals need to think about, as well as branding and advertising, is protecting their intellectual property and not taking any of this sort of pervasive conceptual stuff for granted, because mm. sometimes it's far more important than any uh, patented technology because it's a concept that is critical to the way we perceive the world and think. Mm, absolutely. And I think it's very hard to, um, in, in, in a way, I would imagine it's even worse than domain names because I was going to say it's similar to um, like when I talk to people about the importance of a domain name strategy and the right domain name and the impact it has on their marketing, on their brand, on the, so many things, but it, it's so hard to get that across to people because it's not easy to measure. And that must be even harder with what you're doing. Like, because it's it's that you do so much work, but it's so hard to measure the impact of it. It is. It, it, it very much is hard to measure the impact of it. There are tools, you know, that we use, such as sentiment monitoring, uh, message pull through, how often something comes up. And what we do is when we're talking to our clients about how they can see how PR is working, is we use those various tools to show what terminology they're most associated with, what those connotations are and how strong they are. And I think when people are choosing uh, domain names or uh, looking at their own branding, they need to be thinking about how they can tie in thoughtful, important qualities to them in a way that's going to be helpful for their brand. And that's the real benefit of PR is when you are creating thought leadership planks to tie into your brand name or your URL so that that sentiment is positive and helpful for your business objectives. Hmm. You just now said, um, mentioned basically PR and PR work before even getting to the domain and naming, etc. At what point should a business owner contact somebody like yourself? What's the what's the right time? Because normally, um, people think about it when I don't know then when they have something special happening. That's like, oh, we need you know some PR around that and. Then they they're like we need that yesterday. <laughs> when is a good time? <laughs> you know, Bill Gates said if he had a if he was down to one dollar that he'd invest that dollar in PR, and I think that's a good investment. I think that <laughs> I think a lot of companies when they're starting make a lot of goofy freshman mistakes, either with uh, their web content or their social content or how they engage publicly about themselves. And so getting PR advice early is useful 
to setting up on the right foot so that you are set up for bigger success later on. I think that you know, when you are starting off as a company, you need to think about the table stake things that are going to help you at the very onset, like your website and your social footprint and the collateral that you have that people can read about you. And that's for starters. And then you're going to want to get people to know about you or to have at least, you know, respected people talk well about you. And Usually that is a PR discipline in and of itself of curating that content, putting it together and making sure that it gets seen. So I think that I would advise a company that as soon as they are trying to expand their sales portfolio outside of their small circle of word of mouth, that that's when they're really going to need PR And the thing is, is that some people will say, well, you know, we we don't need PR now because we aren't ready for it. And to me, that is a hard thing to understand. Like you're not ready for it in terms of you don't know how to talk about your company. Then how are you selling a product? (laughs) Uh, I, I think that it's important to start talking to journalists and opinion makers uh, about how your service is important to them and to other people. I think you need to articulate the problems you're solving and why these are important problems to solve. And I think that you need to start being useful to the media that your buying public is going to read because when you start investing in PR and start really trying to make a name for yourself, those journalists are going to be the ones that help you. Now, it may seem daunting, and people might say, oh, it's still a huge investment. You can start small. You can think that, hey, there are perhaps five to 10 journalists who really understand what you're doing and like companies like you. And you could start just becoming on their radar by sharing their stuff, by commenting on what they post by uh, being a cheerleader of these people. And that way you're getting on their radar as an ally. And it's a lot easier to make the ask uh, for them to include you in a story or cover you. And that's going to be important when you're trying to associate your brand name or your domain name with the positive qualities that are gonna be useful for you to make the sales and business moves that are gonna be important for your next steps. Mm. And that definitely sound, sounds like something that is going to take time. So if if I'm getting that correctly, like people shouldn't be thinking about, you know, oh, we have that, um, I don't know, new service or product or event that's coming up in whatever. And and you leave it up to the last week or two. And then you're like, uh, hey, can you, you know, write about that? Because that, that's going to come up. That's going to be, let me use, the, that's going to be pushy, but not polite. <laughs> You know, the thing that I would say is that you should probably be doing PR before you have a quote unquote big activation, because Mm -hmm. if you try to launch a product without having done PR beforehand for your company or your offering, a lot of these journalists are going to be like, who is this company? What, Mm -hmm. why am I just now hearing about them? And journalists are loath to do a favor for someone who 
hasn't been around previously. So if you're thinking, hey, I want to launch something in Q1, maybe you should start working with PR in Q4 the year before, or maybe even Q3. And mm-hmm. it starts off with the thought leadership uh, sort of opportunities about talking about the problems that your industry is facing, why there are problems and how they could be solved. And naturally that sets up this nice capitalist morality play about how your product can solve that problem. But you first <laughs> got to talk about the problem. You've got to create the listening as people would say way back when. And once you create the listening, then you can talk about it. For example, we have created the listening for AI and how AI can solve a variety of problems in a way that has not yet been seen before. And Mm. now all sorts of companies are investing in AI and realizing its potential. But we were not at that place for a while. And similarly, Mm. you need to get to that place with other sort of activations that you're trying to make where some people might be not interested in AI, they might be interested in IoT, they might be interested in data lakes. And the question is, how do you make those topics sexy in themselves? How do you make them really appealing? And so that's where the PR magic really begins, where you get other people thinking, you know, this is a big problem that I want to think about right now. Mm. That's funny. As he was saying it, I was thinking, you're absolutely right because AI, you know, the boom that we've seen in the past year or two, that has been in the works for like decades, literally. And I was actually, as you were saying, I'm like, that's the difference between, and I don't want to offend anyone, but like geeks working on their thing and then PR getting into it. And as you said, making the thing sexy, <laughs> Uh, because like literally I've, I have friends who've been working on AI for decades and I would always look at whatever they're sharing and be like, Ooh, that's like, I, I can't, I can't deal with that. That's like geeky stuff too much. And now like everybody is like digging that content. It's crazy. So I, I think, yeah, there's a lot to be said about creating the listening. That's what you said. Yeah. And I, I think that we're going to see other industries you know, make that attempt. I I think that it starts off with a group of influencers like analysts who really are the smartest people in the space. And then it's a matter of sharpening that with either provocative thoughts or provocative stunts. I think that OpenAI was really successful because, you know, they were able to put their product in the hands of a lot of people for free. And I think that move, uh, which I don't know if they really truly intended it to be a PR move, but that move opened the floodgates to the discussions we're having about AI right now. Mm. And so when people think about PR, it's not just necessarily a press release. It is also an activation to get people confronted with something that they need to think about that they weren't thinking about previously. And so mm. that's that's where we are with AI. I think the challenge, of course, becomes where, you know, in any kind of exciting technology happens, there's the, you know, hype, and then there's kind of the aftermath where you're like, okay, so this is what AI is. 
And we're going to see those peaks and valleys with any technological trend. And part of the challenge for any company is trying to stay ahead of that hype curve so that you are being interesting and compelling in ways that are that are resonating with people at all sorts of times. Mm, absolutely. What, what is an ideal Bosbar customer? An ideal Bosbar customer is someone who is wanting to change the world and do it in a way that's compelling and helpful. And I think that I've been really proud to work with a variety of companies that are changing the way that we deal with data, for example. And I think that's fascinating. I think companies that deal with AI are truly fascinating. But we're also working with a lot of health companies that are using, for example, AI to help with dr drug discovery for pharmaceuticals. Uh, we're working with other companies to improve how hospitals uh, administer their service. And we've seen a lot of companies say, hey, I like what you're doing with technology. Can you do that with uh, financials? Can you do that with uh, medicine? Can you do that with uh, even you know, civic PR? In fact, in probably one of the more famous cases, uh, San Francisco Pride came to us when their PR team had quit and they said, it's the start of Pride Month. We don't have a PR team in place. No, dear. Have a huge crisis. Can you help it? And we helped, you know, with two different crises. And I think that that's how tech PR has been really battle tested to solve mm. some of the bigger problems. And so I've been brought in for things that are absolutely not technology oriented, <laughs> but because we've had to face some crazy uh, tech issues here, we've been able to take that thinking and apply it for other industries. Mm. Do you have a favorite industry, like something that you absolutely love working with? Uh, you know, I get crushes from time to time on different <laughs> industries. And so uh, sometimes I crush very heavy on data. Sometimes it's medicine, sometimes it's AI, sometimes it's FinTech. Uh, I'm polyamorous that way. And so... <laughs> I, I think that uh, for the people at Bosbar, we have so many people of so many disciplines that we're able to really uh, play with the biggest leaders in the space and transform their fortunes. One of the other things I'm super proud of is that we have been able to take European companies, Asian companies, and really get them greater visibility within the United States. Uh, one mm. company, for example, based in Croatia came to us saying, hey, we're you know fighting neck and neck with Twilio. We want to be bigger than what we are and we want to have an imprint that Americans can understand and appreciate. And we got that company, Infobip, on uh, the Today Show, which is probably the most American broadcast newscast in the whole country. And, mm. you know, Infobip is an SMS platform powering the biggest uh, companies in the world when it comes to uh, customer satisfaction. And yet they had, were just entering the United States. And so I was really proud that we were able to do that. And we've done that with a variety of companies that are trying to enter the United States and tell their story in a compelling way. Mm. 
We've also done that, of course, with you know companies in the San Francisco Bay Area or in New York or in Boston or in Chicago that have been looking for a PR agency that is not a traditional PR agency in the sense that they just have a formula to you know make press happen. We instead have former journalists who truly understand newsrooms and are really aggressive in making sure that our clients get coverage quickly and uh, transformationally. Mm. What are some like classic, I'm sure you have many, but like if you would say the top one to three do's and don'ts when um, <clears throat> when entrepreneurs are looking for a PR agency, like what are some red flags to be on the lookout for to avoid or to but the right questions to ask, for example, to get a feeling of whether that's the right agency for you? You know, I think the biggest thing is the initial contact. If you are hunting for a PR agency and you contact them and they take forever to respond, they're not hungry for your business and they're not going to prioritize you either. It's like the opposite of dating. In dating, you're told to play cool. No, no, no. If you're looking for a PR agency, you want a PR agency that's responsive and fast and is excited to work with you. And so that's the first thing. How responsive are they to you? Then it's a matter of how. what are their touch points with you? What, what are you hearing? Are you hearing thoughtful ideas about the media? Are they thinking about you specifically? I think that's another way. And then uh, there's the whole idea of what kind of Creative ideas are they suggesting? Do you like them? Do they seem cookie cutter? Are they specific to you? Do you think they're achievable? And then what are their examples like? How how do you feel about their previous success stories? Can you talk to any of their references, any of their customers? And that's how I would start looking at a PR agency if I was looking to hire. I would be adverse to any agency that would put a lot of guardrails. I have seen agencies spend a lot of time and a lot of money saying, oh, we got to craft your story. We got to storyboard it. We won't be able to talk to the media for months. And (laughs) that is absolutely able to get a client coverage day one of signing up with them. And so I think that when people are looking for agencies, that's a part of it. They also need to think about how involved is the principal going to be in the account. Um, you know, the bigger the agency, the obvious less involved someone with skin in the game is going to be. And mm. that might mean that they don't live, breathe, and sweat your business. You want to have an agency that you can tell cares passionately about everything you do and it's gonna respond to you instantly. I tell my clients that we should always be getting in front of them first and they should never have to ask us for anything. We should always be telling them what we're doing. Hence, Mm. yeah, slightly pushy. And so I think that one of the things I've also noticed is that some other agencies will say, oh, you're not ready for a placement this big yet or we have to build this. And I really push back against that. Having been in newsrooms across the country, I know that any company can be a big deal at any moment. And so I think that when you're told, no, 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 you have to wait in line, I think that's a red flag for me too. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like 
I mean, I guess especially with nowadays with the the sort of a you can get any information across the globe in, in seconds. I don't, if it's well-crafted, like you said, I don't see any reason why would it take ages? Oh yeah. It's, it's something that I think is kind of silly and someone who has put on content on all sorts of websites. I mean, yes, I was a producer for TV news, but I also was an online news reporter. And so I know what it takes. Now, granted, there are some PR campaigns that I think will take weeks, if not months, to build because you might be mm-hmm. thinking of a very thoughtful call to action. You might be producing a variety of assets, but mm-hmm. I don't think that that necessarily precludes you from talking to media about some of the biggest stories of the day if you have something interesting to say. And part of it, having something interesting to say is working with your PR team to think, well, what is that interesting thing? Mm, absolutely. What are your thoughts on the company name and the subsequently domain name on, on the impact that has and how is that affecting your job, if at all? I think that when we're pitching companies and we're talking to reporters about their name, the more evocative a name, uh, the more likely a journalist is going to say, tell me about that. That's interesting. I think that when the name is pretty plain, pretty milquetoast or uh, uncompelling, uh, it's not as if a reporter will not, not do the story, but they might not give it the sort of focus that an evocative name would have. And so I think that there's a challenge and creating a name that is going to be memorable so that both, you know, when a reporter writes it or says it, that an audience member will take it with them and think, that name, I want that company. But Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's important to not only think seriously about the branding, but think about the ways in which you're amplifying that branding so that it gets into the collective consciousness of mm. audiences you're wanting to target. Mm, absolutely. And I feel it's important to have consistency when it comes to that. I've seen so many examples of uh, like, uh, you know, some, some, some story, something happens and, and there's like re- information about a company spreading across the internet and and then like it could be a cool name, and then you like I, I would try and go and find them online, and you type the naturally you know you type the name dot com they're not there, and then you start looking where are they, and then you like you go to LinkedIn there's thirty companies with that name, and it's like where are they? What's happening? <laughs> so I, I feel consistency is important as well in that respect to just facilitate that um, ease of people reaching you because ultimately that's the goal. Yeah. And I think that if a company just does one activation on like a product launch and then goes dark for the rest of the time, I think that from a media point of view, it's like, well, you know, is this company really legit or are they just Mm. fly by night operation? There is a new level of uh, critical thinking when it comes to these companies. And there is a desire to realize how real are they? 
or you know, are they even potentially a scam operation? And mm. so that's one reason. But the other thing that you have to think about is that our research shows most Americans will not go to a company website until they've seen it about eight to 11 times in the media. And they say that they need to see a variety of media. It can't all be the same place. If mm. in just the local business journal, that almost feels like an ad to them. But if they see it in a variety of outlets, national, local, uh, vertical, horizontal, then they're a lot more likely to visit it and engage with it. And then you have to think that you have to keep that cadence going. And mm. this is important for a sales team because a savvy sales team is leveraging any sort of PR placement and using as a, that as a part of their follow-up. Hey, you might've seen us in the Today Show or you may have read about us in TechCrunch. And either way, that's a powerful way of going back to someone and saying, mm. let's talk or let's talk about how we can solve your problems. And so that sort of consistency is critical. Mm. That you raise a really good point here that um, I've touched on different guests related to their line of work. And, and now that you mentioned, for example, the sales team working, you know, hand in hand basically with the PR activity, it's crazy how many companies I've seen that don't do that. It's like you're spending all that effort and money crafting this, and then you have your salespeople right there, not even like sometimes knowing it's happening. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's truly what are you doing? And I think the other thing is our research shows that when people are just kind of going through their social media feeds, they're a lot more likely to click on content that is not an ad, but is content from a third party that they trust. And mm. so that's why a media play uh, going after uh, various outlets, media journalists, or influencers even, that's going to be a lot more profound for a brand than simply going and putting out content itself. I, I've had so many companies come to me and say, you know, we have saturated the ad you know the channels with our advertising and we're not seeing anything mm -hmm. in terms of uptick and that's because of the different sort of nature of pr versus advertising and how we have been conditioned to respond to it and mm -hmm. so i think when people are really looking to make a purchase decision they're a lot more inclined to do research as opposed to just passively respond to ads Mm, absolutely more and more actually i think people are so sick of ads it's it's like however creative they get it and it's not even like you can appreciate a good advert but you still don't trust it as much as you would trust some you know more authentic content by other party or you know something that you can craft as a as a pr agency it, it's really very different Yep. And I, I think that we can work together. I'm not saying don't do advertising. I'm saying you know, <laughs> it's, part of the, it's a part of the whole media universe. But, you know, you have to know what each channel can do and what each channel cannot do. So you can come up with a strategy that's going to be right for you. And I think <laughs> ultimately what I would tell anyone who is looking at a marketing program is that there's going to be calibrations that are gonna be unique for you that you need to insist on. 
I mm. don't think that you can uh, take a cookie cutter approach because you want a program that perhaps leans into some of your executives in ways that another company could not. And so mm. looking for those opportunities to distinguish yourselves by your unique features is going to need something that is bespoke. Mm, absolutely. And my last, I'm sure we can talk for, talk for hours, but I'm aware that like we, we're, you know, getting into a bit longer in time. My last uh, question is going to be is, because from what we, everything that we just discussed, it does seem to me like it's not what most people in my experience feel. It's like you come to a PR agency once in whatever, when you need something happening. But from what you're saying, you know, we, we were talking about like crafting effectively a strategy and you just mentioned now that it has to be bespoke in a way you, you would have to spend time finding out what can that company leverage that's unique and, and work with that. So that sounds more like something that um, continues over a period of time. So what does the process look like when somebody comes to you um, in, in terms of, yeah, let's say steps and timeline. So let's say, for example, that someone says, hey, Curtis, we want to start with you. Let's let's get going. We sign paperwork and we then have what's called a drocking session. Drocking, the term comes from Heinlein, who wrote A Stranger in a Strange Land. And the idea is to deeply know about something in the most meaningful way possible. And that's important so that as your PR partner, we can understand your dreams, your potential, and how we can help realize that together. And then we iterate on a plan of success. We talk about, well, what does success look like? What does success look like this month? What does it look like by the end of the year? And how can we then create a program that achieves that vision of success. And we break it down into very digestible pieces that we can move day in and day out so that we could push that boulder over the hill. Now, granted, I'm throwing a lot of metaphors and uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, you know visuals too, but I am a big believer in that plan of visualizing success and then coming up with a program that realizes it. And so what we might do in the first month is a media activation where we secure placements in the media that is most passionate about a client's field. But we're always challenging ourselves to think, okay, what is the big placement we can get? What is going to be transformational that we could say, oh my God, this is what made the company. For one company that works in insurance, uh, we got them back-to-back -back Wall Street Journal placements. And that was transformative for their business. If you go to Parametrics Insurance, for example, you could see on their front page about the Wall Street Journal reporting that talks about how great they are. I think that... Mm -hmm. When you are looking at that sort of big placements that really make a company, that's what can make a company different from its com competition. Because a lot of times when people are vetting, they're trying to determine, well, how real is this guy? How successful are they? Does anyone Has anyone been able to use them and change their fortunes? And mm. that's the best thing about PR is being able to get a sense of what it would be like if you use that 
company, that technology, that platform, or that service. And so mm-hmm. the thing that we try to do at Bozbar, at least, is we try to show success as soon as possible because we want to get people excited about PR because we find that once a client truly understands what PR can do for them, they're going to be a lot more excited about coming up with new ideas too. And that's when a real collaboration and real mm. team truly begins. Wonderful. And that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much to for being a guest on our podcast, Curtis. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope so. And if not, let's just pretend it was. <laughs> Thank you. That's been wonderful. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Smart Branding Podcast. Feel free to visit smartbranding.com for more information and reach out if you have any suggestions, questions, ideas, or just want to learn more about how a good domain name strategy can help you build a strong and successful brand. See you next time.